investigative reporter. Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. The creature is wanted for a murder he didn't commit. David Banner is believed to be dead. And he must let the world think that he is dead until he can find a way to control the raging spirit that dwells within him. Nineteen seventy-eight. That was the year that the Incredible Hulk TV series debuted on NBC, which is Channel Four here for us in New York City. One of my absolute favorite comic-related TV shows ever had a huge impression on me as a kid. Till this day. So this episode will be dedicated to The Incredible Hulk. Not so much necessarily a movie review as I wanted to do of the film Incredible Hulk with Edward Norton. We're going to kind of switch it up and make it a little bit of a superhero showcase. Because there's quite a bit of the Hulk we may cover on this episode. So guys, welcome to another episode of Heroes Retreat with Noel Cruz. You already know who I am. I want to thank you guys for listening as always. It's going to be a fun episode. A couple of programming notes I want to go over. Uh, as you guys already may know, I believe this is now my second or third episode I'm doing under the new title, Heroes Retreat with Noel Cruz. Um, previously, this show was, uh, it started as uh, So Have You Seen? Um which is a, a name and title I'm still very fond of. Change was made. Uh, just something that kind of came to me after my one-year anniversary and uh, with the podcast. And I just think it kind of gels better, so I hope you guys like the new title. Uh, I hope it doesn't throw you off when you listen to the previous episodes and you hear, uh, hear it under this uh, So Have You Seen banner. Uh, that being one thing. Another thing I want to address is last, week, last week's episode on Suicide Squad. A couple of errors I had made, and I always like to address these things uh, whenever I hear them. I always do try to, I have, I'm in the habit of listening to every episode that I record just to kind of follow through and make sure everything is okay. But one thing I noticed um, is that for the review of Suicide Squad, I kept referring to Idris Elba's character, Bloodsport, that's the name of the character, as Bloodshot. So I'm sorry for the confusion on that, guys. Bloodshot is actually a character, I think, from Image Comics. And I think there was a movie even uh, made with Vin Diesel on that character, something similar to it. But I know it kind of, you know, falls in, in that kind of genre. But the reason why I got it confused was because um, if I'm there are a couple of characters that have a very similar kind of uh, characteristics there's now don't quote me here but i this is what i'm going based on so i know that there's now bloodsport after correcting myself uh there is dead shot there is death stroke and i think that would be it uh and then of course there's deadpool so there's a lot of death going on you know you guys got to tone it down with the you know with the with the death motif but, um, yeah, I just wanted to make that correction. So the character's name in Suicide Squad, played by the absolutely fantastic Idris Elba, is Blood Sport. So I'm sorry if I kept referring him to him as uh, Bloodshot or whatever, whatever the hell it was I was saying. Also, I had mentioned that there was a character in the movie Birds of Prey named Siren. That is incorrect. The character's name is Black Canary. Uh, Black Canary has the ability to let out like a sonic yell. Uh, and that's exactly what the character does in Birds of Prey. So I just wanted to hit on a couple of those production notes or programming notes, better said. So I'm sorry for the confusion, guys. And if you ever hear me say anything that's out of place or not exactly correct, correct me. You guys take the time to listen and I want to get it right. Just a lot of information to process at one time, given a 60-minute time uh 
time limit on these recordings. So anyway, we're moving on to the big bad green Goliath. One of my favorite um, Marvel characters and one of my favorite superheroes. The Hulk or the Incredible Hulk. So to start, the character made his de- his debut in comic books in uh, May of 1962. He was created by, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, Stan Lee, and uh, along with Jack Kirby. And so it was a collaboration uh, to create the character. And ideally, what they wanted to do with the Hulk, Stan Lee said that his initial vision was to make the character very similar as a cross between Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and certain elements of Frankenstein because he was a big fan of the Boris Karloff black and white movie. So that's kind of where the genesis of the Hulk came from. Initially, it wasn't so much a hero that kind of evolved through time as did the color of the character and certain storylines and plots. So given that it was like 1962, and I believe that this was either the second or third Marvel character that was created following Spider-Man, Iron Man, um, Hulk was created on the basis of kind of bringing in a monster, kind of a, yeah, I guess a monster, uh, monster type character into the Marvel universe. Um, and the basis and the premise of it was that, you know, when he's human, he's kind of, you know, somewhat, he was drawn very meek and affable, Dr. David or Dr. Bruce Banner. Uh, actually, it's funny because throughout uh, the TV show and the comics, he they refer to him differently. So he's either Dr. David Bruce Banner or Dr. Bruce Banner. Uh, and if you look at the, the reference of the 1960s, uh, the comic book, he was just like very small frame, unassuming glasses. And he was, you know, on a project site for the military as they were testing something called a gamma bomb. Now, something had happened that David Banner and uh, a character in the early series of the comic books. Now, bear with me because I've never really read whole comic books. There were very few storylines that I did read, uh, primarily when it was something to do with a big event like Infinity Gauntlet or Secret Wars or Age of Ultron or something along those lines. But from his origin story, he was on location, on a military location, with General Thunderbolt Ross, uh, who would later would become an antagonist, uh, and which made it a, a little bit kind of dubious because Bruce Banner was in love with the general's daughter, Betty Ross. She would be his love interest, like Lois Lane is to Clark Kent in that capacity. So while on the testing light, in, at this testing site in this desert, something happens, I think, that I don't remember exactly what, but Bruce Banner has to go out to see, I think, why the bomb doesn't detonate or something is not right. You know, he's with this kid, Rick Jones, and they kind of drive out in a military jeep. All of a sudden, not being aware that Banner is out in the field, the military begins the countdown detonation. Banner realizes it. They start running back to the bunker. He pushes Rick Jones into a foxhole to save his life. The bomb detonates. Banner miraculously survives. A couple of days later, everything appears to be fine. He said despite the explosion, he's never felt better. Until, of course, he becomes agitated and all hell breaks loose, revealing the monster. So that is ideally how he was introduced into the Marvel Universe, at least into the Marvel Universe of the comic books. Initially, when he was created... They, his skin was gray. If you look at the cover, the cover of the first uh, Incredible Hulk comic book, you'll see. And also the way uh, the legendary Jack Kirby drew him, he wasn't the physical, the physical specimen like he is now. He wasn't muscular. He was massive. He was big, and he almost kind of looked like a cave troll. To be honest with you, he kind of had a very square frame, very big feet. His brow, the brow of his forehead was very pronounced. You know, he spoke 
very dumbed down, you know, and uh, Hulk smash and, you know, things like that. He he had no, no intellect. He was just a creature of rage. He was he was the rage of Bruce Banner, of a person who is, you know, as I, as I mentioned and as described, incredible intellect in the Marvel Universe. He's up there with Tony Stark and he's up there with uh, Reed Richards, who is Mr. Fantastic. So in, you know, in the Marvel Universe, he's ranked as an incredibly high intellect. But physically, he is the most average of average men, except, of course, when he becomes angry and he transforms. So as the years progressed, one of the first issues they came across was, and he did incredibly well. He did even better in a collaborative effort when they made him a member of the Avengers. So... One of the issues they ran into, one of the challenges they ran into was that the printers could not properly capture the color, the gray color, over the the ink outline of the character, right, when they went to press. So, you know, the color would kind of be coming off the line, like coloring outside of the line whenever it printed, and it was incredibly frustrating because if they had to ship 500 comic books now they could only ship maybe half that because only a certain numbers or less because only a certain numbers had the gray within the line and it looked good it looked presentable so there was always like you know amongst comic book fans like well why did he start gray and he turned green like there was also no real I don't think there was a real explanation for it in the comics I think they said that he turned green as it was a part of the uh, mutation or a side effect of the gamma radiation, you know, because his power, unlike other Marvel superheroes, by name and by definition, he is just power. That's all the Hulk is. Absolute power. Raw. He is invulnerable. His, his skin is, I think, like... 200 times the density of Kevlar so it's it's something insane um he's just absolute power and they they you know they kind of made it that that color change of his skin was part of the a side effect or the manifestation of the gamma or the exposure of the gamma radiation honestly <laughs> Stan Lee said no it was just a it was just an issue with the with the coloring of the press so they asked me one day, they're like, hey, Stan, you know, the gray is not catching. What color should we make them? And Stan Lee said green. And some people protested. I think even Jack Kirby was like, no, no, no. Green is usually associated with envy. Why don't we make him red if he's angry usually? And Stan Lee, I don't know how he did it, but he kind of convinced Jack Kirby. He's like, look, he, he looks better green. Let's just, you know, let's go with that. And it worked. It worked, I mean, incredibly well. Years later, in the 1980s, they would refer back to the Grey Hulk uh, color scheme for a while. Um, this was an iconic time. This is when he would fight Wolverine. Um, his his persona kind of changed. He turned into like a, a, a gangster in Las Vegas. It went a little crazy. This is kind of where I started going more into the DC element of comic books because their comics were getting a little better. That's when... The Killing Joke had come out and The Dark Knight Returned. So that was kind of grabbing more my attention. You know, the whole going to Las Vegas and turning into like a, a somewhat of a gangster was unappealing to me. But it pretty much went that way for a while and then he reverted back to his green skin. So being a, a founding father of the Avengers as well gave him quite a bit of relevance. And he was just, you know an incredible, incredible character in terms of power. He had pretty much gone up against everybody. He went up against heroes as well. One of the most iconic fights he ever had was against Iron Man. And it's funny because my brother Tony, who's a huge Iron Man fan, you know, I remember him going on about this one comic where Iron Man and the Hulk fought and Iron Man kind of generated all of the power in his suit into one like blast and at the same time, the Hulk hit Tony Stark. He hit him so hard, he shut the suit down. So Tony collapsed. Not having any power in the suit, you know, the Avengers came and kind of took Tony out of there. And they had to get Ant-Man to shrink down, going through the eye socket of the suit, 
you know, have Tony direct him into a certain part of the suit to hit like a alternative power switch. And Tony sat up right away and started ripping the armor off. So back then that that shit was, you know, so cool. And it was a testament to Iron Man's power because I think Iron Man punched him into like somewhat of a coma. The Hulk was out for a significant amount of time, you know, and, and that's the run that they had. So his popularity was definitely there. Um, in terms of the TV show, this was during a time that they were kind of, you know, up until that point previously, the only other TV show I can think of that was superhero related that was incredibly successful was 10 years prior with Batman, the Adam West and um, Burt Ward TV show, the 1966, I believe it ran from 66 to 69. During that time frame, there wasn't really anything else. I know there was a Shazam TV show and they, you know, they did this really... I don't want to say cheesy because that's not fair. I mean, they did the best they could at the time. They did a Spider-Man movie and they did, um, I think, Wonder Woman. The Wonder Woman TV show with Linda Carter had started. So Marvel really didn't have anything. The Spider-Man movie, again, just because of the limits of technology. And there was a terrible Captain America movie. Oh, my God. Uh, They just didn't know kind of what their next project would be despite the fact that spider-man was great and it was entertaining again how you know the way the character was drawn you know crawling walls and swinging from one place to another physically there it was incredibly hard to pull off stunt wise so i guess the incredible hulk ran from 1978 to about 1982 it ran about 40 years. It had, it had quite a bit of a successful run. And it worked because the show didn't demand very much, right? It just, it was either, you know, the Hulk breaking something down or him throwing something or it was just, you know, the kick of it was just watching the transformation. I think that's what the appeal was overall. I remember as a kid in 78, I was three or three, yeah, three three or four and I remember vividly uh when my dad would get home from work my dad would wear dress shirts he uh my dad owned a barbershop and he always found it hilarious he would take his shirt off and he would like like fold it and lay it against the chair and I would take the shirt and I would drape it over my shoulders bare chested in shorts and barefoot running around the house going oh because of the show I, I loved it I absolutely loved it my dad found it cute for a couple of minutes until I started doing that with his good shirts, like his Oscar de la Renta and his Periella shirts, you know, top designers back in the day, you know, and he kind of spanked me my ass once and he was like, stop wearing my shirts, <laughs> you know, but I loved it because the sleeves looked like the shirt had been torn, you know, like if I draped my dad's sleeves over my shoulder, the way Lou Ferrigno did, it, it just, it felt authentic. And I, again, I was incredibly impressed with the show as a kid. So, it starred Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno, and I was a testament to Bill Bixby, man. You know, he also directed a couple of episodes. Bill Bixby, I thought, did a phenomenal job. To this day, still my favorite, Bruce Banner. You know, kind-hearted, soft-spoken. You know, and nothing against Mark Ruffalo and nothing against Ed Norton and nothing against Derek Banner. These guys did, you know, the best they could bringing the character to life on screen. There was a certain charm to Bill Bixby that none of them, maybe with the exception of Ed Norton, because the Incredible Hulk film kind of is is very true to the TV show. Very, very true to it. Even though the beginning of that film kind of does a flashback to what looks like the opening sequence of the Incredible Hulk TV show. But Bill Bixby, he just, again, man, he had this charm and he had this way about playing Bruce Banner. But not only did he play Bruce Banner, it's the way he would transform. That was just awesome. Like, you believed. I remember the first time I saw it when I was a kid, I kind of shit my pants. <laughs> I, was, I was afraid at first because... You know, he's kind of yelling. He's like, no, no. You know, and then he'd like put his arm over his eyes or cover his hands with his face. And then he looked down and now his eyes are like white. 
And you hear him going, rrr, rrr, you know, and, and a shout out to Bill Bixby. You know, he, he played it not well. He played it beautifully. Like the screams that he would let out and the way he would tremble and shake, you know, you kind of is a testament to his body going through a physical Armageddon. I mean, his muscles are stretching out. He's growing. It has to hurt. You know what I mean? And he's, you know, there were times that Bill Bixby would talk and he'd be like, no, step away from there. Step away. He had the presence of mind to change his voice, you know, so very much a gifted actor. And then the transformation fell on the hands of the physical specimen that was Lou Ferrigno. Lou Ferrigno was, I think, a two time consecutive uh, Mr. America or Mr. Olympia. Um Lou Ferrigno was born in Brooklyn, New York, um, and he was just, I mean, I, I, I think if I'm not mistaken, Lou Ferrigno is known for having the best chest in the history of bodybuilding, if I'm not mistaken. Like his, uh, proportionately, his chest is, I think, the greatest chest in the history of bodybuilding. I'm not 100% sure. Um, because he did a movie or documentary as well with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Him and Arnold Schwarzenegger were boys, and I believe they're still friends, and they used to train together. They did a documentary called Pumping Iron, which chronicled uh, both their ascension to like a Mr. Olympia, which Arnold would ultimately win. But Lou Ferrigno, absolutely beautiful. Not so beautiful when he was in the Hulk makeup. Um, Given that it was a pilot, and given, you know, that there were budget restraints, Lou Ferrigno would be painted green um, and they would put a prosthetic on his brow. They made his nose wider and they gave him false teeth to give him the appeal of the Hulk. Um, the first two or three episodes, he wasn't, you know, it, it looked like kind of goofy, to be honest with you. And the wig that they gave Lou Ferrigno, bro, it was yak hair. It was a wig made of yak hair. Guys, really? Like, he looked, you know, he looked, I don't know, I can't describe it. I mean, at one point he looked, you know, outrageous. Another point he looked hysterical. Another point he looked, you know, horrifying. So there was quite a few things going on. And as the episodes progressed, the writers kind of got hip to it. And they were like, we kind of need to tone it down a bit because he doesn't look heroic. He looks monstrous. And we get it. Yeah, but, you know, at some point he has to look. If he's doing heroic deeds, we kind of got to tone it down. Um, what a lot of people probably don't know is that Lou Ferrigno also, uh, as a child, lost 80% of his hearing. So he is deaf and he uses the use of hearing aids. Um, which you could tell because of the hear loss, he also developed somewhat of a speech impediment. If you hear him speak, it's somewhat noticeable. He had a cameo appearance, cameo appearance in The Incredible Hulk with uh, Ed Norton, where he plays a security guard. And you can see also he's been on the TV show King of Queens. So he, you know, that kind of reading his biography he said when he was a kid, he was teased mercilessly because he was deaf and because of the way he spoke. And that's kind of what got him into bodybuilding, that and reading comics. He was very aware of Captain America, Spider-Man, and the Hulk. He said that they inspired him to become stronger and to, you know, to defend himself. And that what, you know, that's what inspired him to be a bodybuilder. And ultimately, he would play the Hulk. And he's forever linked in the Marvel Universe for that. You know, there's a tremendous amount of respect all of those actors absolutely love and respect him. Robert Downey Jr., uh, uh, Chris Hemsworth, all of these guys that, you know, they, they bow down and rightfully so, man. I'm sure if Bill Bixby was around, they would show him love too um, for being what is, in my opinion, the best Bruce Banner there ever was. Um, so the TV show ran on for quite some time. It was successful. It came to an end uh, in 1982. After the release of the film... Superman, and after the release, more more so of Batman, Marvel saw the possibility, you know, for TV ratings. So they released a couple of like made-for-TV movies, which was the Return of the Incredible Hulk, which had Thor in it, 
and it wasn't Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth, and then the trial of the Incredible Hulk, which uh, showcased the first appearance of Matt Murdock, Daredevil, who was defending Bruce Banner. Uh, I believe it was falsely accused of killing someone. And then there was ultimately the death of the Incredible Hulk, where they kind of ended the whole TV thing. So that's pretty much the run of the character's TV life. Now, in 2003, uh, Academy Award-winning director uh, Ang Lee, who did a movie called Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, was given the motion picture Hulk to direct. At the time, it was in Marvel Studios. It was just Marvel. Uh, Universal had still owned the rights because they were they that was a studio that released the Hulk TV show. So now, after Spider Man had been released and X Men had been released, now they wanted to bring another character to the screen, and it was Hulk, starring Eric Bana. I remember I was really excited about this movie, um, and it was. Uh, I don't know. I just it took a turn that I did not expect. They made this film very kind of cerebral, kind of I don't know, th- very psychological, and I could see where those elements would probably be. Um, how can I say this? It, it, it would it would be an interesting pairing. I could see that because psychologically, that you know, it's that's pretty much the issue with the Hulk. Is he a man? Is he a monster? You know, it's the rage in him that comes out. I get that 100%. And it could be, you know, a character, one hell of a character study, but not for this film, not for this character. The Hulk, as I spoke to my older brother, Victor, who I hope to, you know, have on on this show one day. I'm sure it's going to be an absolute comedy. Uh, He's a madman and I love him. So I asked him, you know, Vic, who is your favorite hero? And right away, you know, my brother said, well, wait, hero or villain? Because my brother always kind of, you know, was attracted to the bad guys. Dr. Doom being his number one. So I said, no, hero. Who's your favorite? Super-? And he, just, he didn't even let me finish. He went Hulk, hands down. When I asked him why, he said, because he is absolute destructive power. And nobody can stop him. It takes a lot. You have to exhaust him in order to, like, slow him down or calm him down for him to revert to banner otherwise while he's hot just move move bro because <laughs> you're not going to stop him so with that in mind the this hulk film by ang lee didn't really have a lot of action there was an action sequence that's maybe a total of 30 minutes of the two-hour film and that's just 30 minutes you know that's an hour and a half of waiting to get to the Hulk. He looked okay. I liked how he looked. I, I enjoyed how Eric Bana portrayed him. But when he changed, he kept getting bigger and bigger. And then there was this idea that the matter he got, the bigger he got. So he was almost like a giant at one point in the comics. Hulk maxes out, I think, at eight, eight or nine feet. So he's big. But in this film, he just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, and okay action sequences and then you know nick nolte played his father who looked really weird man nick nolte i don't know where he went for this character but he played hulk's father and then by you know according to the plot he he became very similar to a character called absorption man who can absorb everything he touches or become a part of it and it was just weird it was just a weird choice um it didn't. The movie didn't age very well. I left the theater. I, you know, I found it enjoyable at the time, but you know, after everything we've been given now, it was just this really strange attempt. Um, so they kind of waited a while, and this was at a point where I don't know if Marvel was looking to kind of unify everybody. I don't think that was on the plate. I think they just wanted to release. Excuse me. These films based on characters and and so on you know just kind of make the profit based on the character films i i highly doubt or at least the guy who was in charge at the time avi arad i don't think they were looking to intermingle the characters until of course disney stepped in 
So 2008, was it 2008 or 2005? I'm not sure. After the Iron Man film with Robert Downey Jr., in 2008, we finally get a go-ahead for The Incredible Hulk starring Edward Norton and directed by Louis Letelier, I believe his name, Letelier. He directed a, a film in the early 2000s called Transporter um, with Jason Statham about a guy, like this action movie about a guy who's a chauffeur and knows how to fight and all this shit. Now, I wasn't really expecting much. Um, I was very happy, though, that Edward Norton decided to play Bruce Banner because, again, Edward Norton just has kind of like that smaller frame. Eric Bana, you know, looked a little bit more fit, where Edward Norton just looked a little bit more kind of smaller. Much to my surprise and satisfaction, this movie played a lot better. Um, it stood, again, it had a lot of a lot of the elements of the TV show. And if you look, as I said earlier, at the comparison from... Look at the TV show intro and look at the intro to the film, The Incredible Hulk. And you're going to see quite a bit of similarities. And also, Ed Norton, I think this is probably... Now, don't quote me on this, but I think this is one of the reasons why he didn't come back. He actually co-wrote the film and he got no writer's credit for it. And I think that's something that may have pissed him off. Also, Louis Letelier, I don't think, came back. And, you know, there was a lot going on regarding a sequel so it was still up in the air as to how hulk was going to come back cinematically after this film this after this interpretation of the incredible hulk the movie honestly is the best cinematic version i've seen of the hulk and with all due respect to mark ruffalo i love how he is in avengers the first avengers film i enjoyed the character in age of ultron but believe it or not, it was in Infinity War and Endgame where I had issues with the way the character was done. I wish they would have done him differently. So in my humble opinion, I think the Incredible Hulk film is where we get the truest version of the Hulk that is there. With a slight expansion on what Mark Ruffalo did in the first Avengers film. So in this version, Bruce Banner's on the run. He's hiding in Brazil. And uh, I believe... Yeah, Brazil. It is Brazil. And he's staying as anonymous as he possibly can. He's trying to check his anger. He's trying to cope. He's doing the best he can. So immediately, I was turned on by the fact that they were going by what I had read, what I had seen, and what I had known. Banner having this, what he called this curse didn't give him stability he constantly had to move especially if he would have an episode that he would change so here he's a loner you know he lives in a favela and which i believe is like neighborhood in or like a ghetto in brazil you know very unassuming with a dog you know there's a quick shout out to bill bixby he had a bill bixby to have a tv show called the courtship of eddie's father and they show a clip of that and, you know, it just, it, it, it really does well showing Bruce Banner. Because even though the Hulk is the star of the film, Bruce Banner is who you're going to see the, the majority of the time. Because if they did a film where it was all Hulk back then, the budget would have been insane. So it shows how he, you know, he he learns a capoeira. He's, you know, he's with a, an a capoeira instructor. The capoeira instructor is telling him how to use his diaphragm to breathe to calm himself down. It's just really cool the way they did that shit. Uh, what is William Hurt plays General Thunderbolt Ross, which is a change from the Ang Lee film. Uh, it was played by another actor whose name escapes me, but he was in Tombstone. Sam Shepard, I believe his name is. Um, he was General Ross. Here, it's William Hurt. And William Hurt has continued the character up until Black Widow. And he's still, you know, he's still doing a great job with the character. Hopefully, fingers crossed, Red Hulk. Let's go. But, um, you know, he's being hunted. And he he kind of unassumingly works in like a factory in Brazil, a soda factory. While he's fixing a machine, a drop of his blood gets into a soda 
that gets, you know, wrapped up and sent to the U.S., you know, somebody unassumingly grabs that soda, drinks it, and they have, you know, some kind of a reaction to it. The person who drinks it, it's a shout out and a half. I'm not going to say who it is if you haven't seen the film, but I absolutely loved it. So they're able to identify now where Banner is because of the gamma radiation. So Ross sends troops out. One of the troops he sends out is a character called Blonsky, who's like this kick-ass, you know, I don't know if he's a mercenary or what he is, but he's like a, a British trooper or a British soldier who's no joke. And he's put on the team to go and retrieve Banner. They go to Brazil. You know, while Banner's in Brazil, he's communicating with the scientists here in America about um, potential ways to suppress his anger or to help him just get rid of this. He's doing everything from herbs to blood samples to everything. And... You know, he you can see that he misses Betty, uh, who's played by Liv Tyler, who does, in my opinion, a phenomenal job with a supplemental character like I've till this day. She is I haven't seen it with Spider-Man. I haven't seen it with any of the Batman uh, love interests, including Catwoman. The only other person maybe who showed this much true love and affection to a superhero character would be Gwyneth Paltrow in the Iron Man films. And of course, in that ending in Endgame, which just tears me apart every time I see it. But here, Liv Tyler as Betty Ross is absolutely amazing. And I'll touch on that in a little bit. But Ross sends out Blonsky with a team to track him down. You know, uh, Banner has... um, you know, ways of knowing if he's being chased. So he's alerted. The dog alerts him that, you know, somebody's coming to his front door. He runs and leads a chase. He gets into a, you know, he gets into a little dust up with some guys in the neighborhood as he's trying to run away who, you know, coincidentally work with him in the soda factory and they don't like him because he's a loner. So he runs into the factory with hopes of kind of, you know, getting rid of people, the people who are chasing him now, the military group. And the guys in the neighborhood who want to bust his ass. He gets into the factory. The guys catch up to him. They press him against the wall. And he's pleading with them. Please, this is bad. Leave me alone. You know, like the TV show said, don't make me angry. You won't like me when, I ang- when I'm angry. And he's trying to express this. And these guys are laughing at him like, yeah, really? What's going to happen? He wears a Garmin monitor, a heart monitor on his wrist. And I think that his heart rate can't go above like 200. That's when shit gets bad. And sure enough, it's triggered. And the transformation in that scene is subtle. There's a transformation later on in the film where you actually see him completely change. I wasn't crazy about that. It looked very CGI. And again, not to shit on the movie or or on the scene. But again, they did the best they could with the technology at the time. Uh, But this alluding to how he changes and the way he looked when his eyes turned green and you hear the and the snapping and the the stretching of his body also something i love is that lou ferrigno voiced the hulk in this movie so all the screaming and growling is lou ferrigno from the tv series i thought that shit was awesome so here he changes and you just you see him they give him this fantastic introduction because you just see him primarily in the shadows and that's you know shout out to to louis letelier or letier you know in whatever whichever way your name is pronounced he just knew not to show the hulk off right away that 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 element of him being in the shadows is absolutely brilliant one of my favorite parts is they throw like this stun grenade and then they shoot they're shooting you know into the darkness because they don't know where he is and after they're shooting, they don't know if they hit him. And you just see like the steam come out and they're just staring into the into the steam. And the Hulk is there's a moment of calm, this one moment. And he just says, leave me alone. And that's Lou Ferrigno. It's so, so cool. A lot of people overlook that part, but that's probably my favorite part of the movie. He just wants to be left alone. But do they listen? No, because then we wouldn't have a movie. They continue to chase him until ultimately Hulk finds his way out. 
Uh, Tim Roth's character Blonsky is amazed with the absolute power of Banner as the Hulk. The film progresses. They chase him down. As the Hulk, Bruce Banner wakes up from Brazil. I think he wakes up in like Guatemala or Costa Rica. That's how much ground he covered going north as the Hulk. That he wakes up and he doesn't know where he is. So he hitchhikes, which is a which is a huge kind of character trait in the history of the character. That's how he gets around. You know, he just he goes from place to place. He ha- he can't take trains or planes. He has to hitchhike to get to where he needs to go. So now the movie pivots and they're showing him coming back to America to meet Betty. Ross explains to Blonsky what Banner is, to which he says. We could do something with you that hasn't been done in years. It's the super soldier program. Now, this is where the movie gets really cool. Roth, I'm sorry, not Roth, General Ross seduces Blonsky with the idea that he could be a super soldier, which is the Captain America program. He said, if your body takes to it, you're going to be able to go toe to toe with this creature. And Blonsky, being a soldier, is like, yo, let's do it. The problem is, the reason why Steve Rogers was chosen is because Steve Rogers had a good heart. He had good intentions. Blonsky is doing it for all the wrong reasons. He just wants power. So when he takes it, he meets up with the Hulk. Doesn't go very well, but we'll get to that in a second. Now we get to Banner coming back to the States to to get a hold of the data that he and Betty Ross did that led the gamma the the gamma radiation data, the study that they were doing that accidentally turned him into the Hulk. So he goes to a university. While on the university campus, you know, incognito, he sees that Betty has moved on, you know. And it's it's funny because I don't know what it is, the chemistry with these two, or maybe it's me. But I, you know, if you've ever had somebody in your life that you really care about and for whatever reason you guys, you know, separate or can be together and then you see them, you feel that shit, man. And they captured that in this movie very well, even better in another scene where Bruce, having very little friends, doesn't know where to turn to. So he turns to this old man who runs a pizza shop. And he just talks to him. He says, listen, can I have a place to stay for the night? I just need to get this data. I need to get into that building. Is there a way I could be like a delivery boy so I could deliver pizza or something? The guy helps him out. So Banner goes there. He goes to the university with pizza. He meets a security guard who's Lou Ferrigno as a cameo. He gets whatever information he can. Then he goes back to the pizza place, not knowing that walking in with her boyfriend is Betty Ross. And she talks to the old man who's the owner of the establishment. She's like, no, you know, we had to work late. We're really hungry. Is there anything, you know, we can eat? The guy's like, all right, sit down. I'll fix something up for you. Bruce, I mean, it's a millisecond that he opens the door and Betty sees him and it's like time stopped. And he just bolts and she gets up like entrenched, like she can't believe what she saw. And it's a very powerful moment because she knows that he's been running alone. She knows what he is. If you see the intro to the film, you see how she was impacted by his transformation. But she loves him. And she runs out into an alley looking for him desperately. She walks back into the pizza place and tells the old man, what did I just see? Like, tell me, tell me what I just saw. And she's very emotional about it. And the old man tells her, to which she bolts out of the restaurant and she's driving around and she sees Bruce walking on a bridge. And when they see each other and they embrace, man, you, you know, again, you feel it. It feels real. It feels authentic. Again, the best relationship in a superhero film I've seen with the exception of Tony and Pepper and what concludes an endgame for them. So live Tyler's character, Betty Ross, helps Bruce get what he, you know, what he needs to meet up with the scientists he's been talking to here to possibly help him suppress the transformations. 
Then it leads us to the campus of the university where Bruce is finally cornered by General Ross. And General Ross and his daughter Betty have a very uneasy relationship because she loves Bruce. But Ross is like, you must be out of your mind. He's a monster. Like, don't you see what he is? And of course, Ross has an agenda. He wants to weaponize whatever it is that Banner has inside him because he's no, he knows it's absolute power. It's absolute invulnerability. Absolute. If, if you could focus that rage against an enemy, you are unstoppable. And being a general, that's what he wants. And ultimately he gets, but we'll talk about that another time. This is where the first Hulk film failed because on this campus scene alone, and the Hulk look at, he looks absolutely beautiful. Still my preferred version of the Hulk, even more so than Mark Ruffalo's character, who I love and I think is great. Here he just looks I don't know, man. He looks like a running back. He's he's slender, he's fast, he's maneuverable. You know, he's not big and clunky like the other versions of the Hulk. And he's powerful. The CG could be a little better, in all honesty, but to me. This is my preferred version, cinematically, of the Hulk. He looks fantastic. He captures, you know, Betty to escape. The film progresses. He gets to the university. Uh, Blonsky is not having, you know, Blonsky comes up against the Hulk briefly. And it's beautiful because you see him running across the field and he like breaks out of the pack all of a sudden. He's hauling ass. You know, he's shooting and he's jumping and, you know, there's a very quick scene, I think, that he has a sheet of metal that he throws like Captain America, you know, shout out. And he stands up face to face with the Hulk after their quick exchange. And he's like, is that it? Is that all you got? The Hulk kicks him in his chest so hard (laughs) that Blonsky goes flying into a tree. I mean, he's practically broken every bone in his body. I mean, they're ready to write him off and say that he's dead. And two days later, he wakes up like nothing ever happened. His body regenerated that quick because of the super soldier serum. But that's not enough for Blonsky. He wants more. So as Banner goes to see the psych- the doctor who he's been communicating with, you know, sending him blood samples, turns out the doctor copied the blood samples and made more of it so he could continue testing. So now there's like a shitload of Banner's blood, you know, being stored. He antagonizes Bruce to see him transfer to transform to give him a potential cure, which appears to work because it calms down. And on a table where Bruce begins to transform, he turns into the Hulk. But when when the serum goes into his body, he stops and then he just turns back to Bruce. Ross again finds where Banner is. Turns out it's in Columbia University in New York City. That's why I love Marvel. Everything that happens is in New York. Peter's Peter's from Queens. Steve is from Brooklyn. Dr. Banner studies at Columbia University. The Avengers Tower is on what? Madison Avenue? NYC, baby. I mean, yeah, Gotham and Metropolis are, you know, cool. Gotham is the shit. Don't get me wrong. But everything in Marvel happens in New York, right? The Baxter building, you guys are going to find out what that is. Keep watching. Daredevil Hell's Kitchen. But I digress. Getting back to the Hulk. So he's in Columbia University. Ross finds him. When Roth gets to the professor, not Roth. I keep saying Roth because his name is Sim Roth. But when Blonsky gets to the professor who's been helping the Hulk, he sees all of Banner's blood like in plastic bags being stored. He's like, I want you to put that in me because he's now having some kind of a bad reaction to the super soldier serum. Getting that dose of Banner's blood turns him into this humongous bone riddled creature called Abomination who is actually very formidable against the Hulk. Blonsky looks great. I mean, again, they did the best they could with CG. He starts, you know, destroying the tanks and everything else that was there sent by General Ross. He's turning against them. They've captured Bruce Banner. They took him on a cargo jet, you know, as prisoner of General Ross. 
when they see that Blonsky as abomination is tearing Harlem apart. Shout out Apollo Theater 125. What? Anyway, when they see that he's tearing Harlem apart, Banner's like, you have to let me go in. I'm the only one who could stop him. So General Ross is like, land the plane. He's like, no, no, we don't have time for that. I'm just, I'm just going to go. Betty is like, Bruce, you don't even know if you'll change in time. He's like, I got to do it. Because again, pretty much up until that point, he either gets anxious or angry. His heart rate goes up and he changes. That's pretty much the trigger. So he jumps out of a plane, literally jumps out of a plane, hits the ground, comes up as the Hulk, shit is on. Hulk and Abomination go at it. Looks amazing. One of the best fights up until that point that I've seen in terms of like, you know, two CGI characters. There's a point that the Hulk rips a police car in half and uses it in boxing gloves and beats the shit out of Abomination. But Abomination proves to be a match. It leads onto a roof of a church. The fight continues. Hulk overpowers him. You see a lot of really cool Hulk moments, especially when Hulk uses something that he's known for, which is his clap to extinguish a fire. You know, he lets out his, that iconic yell, you know, done by Luferigno when he says, Hulk smash, you know, and it's awesome, awesome shit. Again, and to me, an incredibly underrated film, incredibly underrated film. He manages to subdue Abomination. He looks at Betty and he takes off because he knows, he knows he can't stay. He takes off. The movie ends with him swinging away, you know, from New York City. And then it picks up with him in what appears to be like northern America, maybe the borderline of Canada. Very picturesque. A lot of woods, mountains. There's like a, a river. You see him jogging and he's living in what appears to be a cabin. He sends something back to Betty Ross that she gave him so... You know, I think she's something she sold to help him, you know, in his progress to get to New York City. He sends it back and then it shows him sitting down, meditating. He has a beard. You could tell that some time has passed. And all of a sudden, as he's meditating, he opens his eyes and they're green and he smiles. So this is an indication that Banner is learning to control the beast within. Movie ends. We see General Raw sitting at a bar shooting whiskey because he's disappointed that he lost Banner and he knows he couldn't catch him. And he, you know, he lost the asset. He lost the one thing that he wants the most, enter Robert Downey Jr. in a cameo. And they have a little bit of an exchange. You know, they don't like each other much, which is obvious. And Banner tells Ross that he's putting a team together. And that will lead us to the 2012 film Avengers. Again, this is, in my opinion, the most underrated Marvel Cinematic Universe film out. Incredibly enjoyable, good pacing. I mean, they did the best they could with the CGI at the time. I wish that, in all honesty, they could do this film and just kind of touch up certain plot, certain points, not plot points, but points of the CG just to you know do it justice you know it it got pretty positive reviews uh more positive reviews than the first attempt at a hulk film and it just it worked man it worked it is in my humble opinion you know the best hulk movie or version of hulk out with the exception of avengers he was fun in Ragnarok. I wasn't crazy how they made him like a big kid, you know, when with the exchange with him and Thor. It was okay, but I just, I don't, that Hulk doesn't register to me. Especially the Professor Hulk in Infinity War and Endgames. Well, Infinity War, they repressed the character altogether. It's like Thanos bitch slapped Hulk in the beginning of the film, and he bitch slapped him so hard that he, he, you know, when Banner needed to change, the Hulk wouldn't come out. I wasn't a fan of that at all, at all. I would I would have Thanos beat the Hulk down. No problem. He has, you know, what, two Infinity Stones at that point? But the turn they took 
with Banner. That was like the only two weak elements of those two otherwise masterpieces of 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 you know comic book cinema. They could have done better with the Hulk. In Endgame, he's Professor Hulk, so now they merge Banner's mind into Hulk's body, which is an actual uh, comic book occurrence that does happen. And now Mark Ruffalo is set to reprise his role in the Disney Plus TV series that will be coming out soon, She-Hulk, which is Bruce Banner's cousin. So check that out. I, they've been Disney has been hitting it. Disney Plus has been hitting it out of the park. Today, another episode of What If has just dropped, which is what if the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, took T'Challa instead of uh, Star-Lord. And it's actually one of the last things that the late Chadwick Boseman did. It's his actual voice. So I'm really looking forward to that episode. But Disney Plus has been knocking it out of the park with WandaVision, with Falcon and Winter Soldier, now with What If, with Loki. I mean, they're killing it. So let's see, you know, what they do with She-Hulk and and what they do with Hulk's character. It's very difficult, and I understand. It's like with Superman. When you have somebody who is that powerful, how do you put them in situations where they're challenged? I mean, Superman could pretty much either rule the planet or destroy it at the snap of his fingers. The Hulk has so much power that he could push the planet out of orbit. In a rage. You can't stop him. There have been people who have tried to enter his mind to calm him down. And they almost die because the power in his brain, in his rage, is, they can't take it. You know, he can't be stabbed. He can't be shot. He can't be killed. He can't be broken. So then what do you do to give this character substance to make him worth reading? Batman, you could read all the live long day because Batman is human. And his rogues gallery is the best in the history of comic books. Hands down, this is not even an argument, so I don't want to hear it. Superman, yeah, who's the most notable villain Superman has had? Bizarro, Lex Luthor. And? <laughs> Other than that, not many that, that are formidable, that, that give Superman a run for his money unless they have kryptonite or unless you know he's exposed to a red sun or he's susceptible to certain points of magic. See what I mean? So I understand that doing something that is entertaining yet believable, yet you know, engrossing with the Hulk proves to be a challenge. Let's hope moving forward, and I have the utmost faith in Disney that they can do it. But in the meantime, guys, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Incredible Hulk with Edward Norton. I give it a, a, a hard, hearty, hearty four stars. I would say three and a half, but honestly, I love the movie that much. I give it a solid four stars. I, I think it's worth worth it. You know what? Three and a half, four stars, honestly, for me, because it's it's worth it, man. It just It's really worth a watch. It doesn't get the love that it deserves. So if you can, check it out. That being said, guys, that is my time. As always, I thank you for taking the time to listen. If you're on your way to work, if you're on your way home, if you're cleaning, whatever you're doing, thank you as always for joining me. You guys are the best. And uh, as I came in with an intro for the Incredible Hulk, I think, not that one, I think I'm going to have to go with an outro, right? That's what I was looking for. So you guys, uh, you'll understand this when uh, you see the uh, Incredible Hulk TV series. So thank you guys for joining me. You guys are the best. Um, I'm going to be reviewing the What If TV series because it's pretty amazing. So in the meantime, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And I will see you for the next episode of Heroes Retreat with Noel Cruz. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank <music> you.